0: In this, the second episode of Mithras Matters, we have a review of Waterlands, Adventures in the Great Mire, a mini campaign for Mythic Britain, and Lawrence Whitaker provides us with some inside knowledge of what is on the horizon from the design mechanism. Welcome to the Mithras Matters Podcast, Season 1, Episode 2, Tread Carefully in the mire. welcome to Mithras Matters, a podcast dedicated to the Mithras rule set and all its supplements. As always, I'm your host, In Wills, and I have to start this podcast by saying a huge thank you. I must admit it was a bit nerve-wracking publishing the first episode of this podcast, but thank you to everyone who tuned in, subscribed and listened to it. Believe it or not, I am still quite really new to all this podcasting, so thank you for your patience, especially as it took me some time to get the episodes onto your favourite podcasting apps. So coming up in the second half of this podcast, we have Lawrence Whitaker, co-creator of Mithras, coming back to join us and providing us with some tantalising news for what is on the horizon from the Design Mechanism Company. But first, we have a review. Yes, as you might be aware, there are several supplements for Mithras that allow you to set your campaign in various parts and eras of the world. One of these supplements is Mythic Britain, and I'm now joined by two listeners and players of Mithras to provide a review of Wetlands, Adventures in the Great Mire. This is a mini campaign for the Mythic Britain settings. So be careful where you step as we go over to Steve and Bill for their review. Hello, my name's Steve,
1: also known as Griffier on chats and various other forums. And I'm Bill. Today we're going to look at um, Waterlines Adventures in the great mire TMD204 which is written by Mike Shirley it's got 36 printed pages 33 if you actually count the adventure and it's available through design mechanism website eon games if you're in europe might be better for you um, and also as ever drive through rpg for the princely sum of, of $5.99 for just the pdf or $10.99 if you want soft uh, cover book as well was your PDF?
2: There's this first chapter, of the Great Mire, which details the Corialtavi, the Brigantes, and the lindisi They are the three cultural players in the region.
1: How would you describe if you had some new players, Bill? Where would you say this is set?
2: It depends whether they're from the UK. I have I have described it as Lincolnshire, basically, but it's not. That's not quite right. I mean, it's, it's between Lincolnshire and Yorkshire, as far as I understand it. Am I close? <laughs> It is set in a fen land, which no longer yep. exists, pretty much. Um, where, where only would, just
1: doesn't exist, yeah. Where,
2: where would you say it's, how would you describe um, it?
1: I, I, um, I would say it's centred on the area of land which is now called the Isle of Axham. I would go for that because I've lived in the Isle of Axham, so, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with it, I'm happy with using that term, but, uh, I mean, it's such an obscure place, which is in Lincolnshire. Yep. Um most of it, but it's an odd. You transition into Yorkshire without really noticing because mm-hmm. it, it's it's such an an open place. You know, you, you're driving along, and then all of a sudden, you're in in Bautry, which is in in Yorkshire. So it is it is quite a desolate place, you know, by <laughs> by English standards. But it's got Yorkshire, it's got D- uh, Derbyshire and Nottinghamshire on the map that they've given us. A lot of Uh Lincolnshire is on that map as well. So I think East Midlands would kind of do it. Um, I mean, if you're going to be jokey, you would say it's the area just off the Humber Estuary. And the Humber Estuary is that great big gash which is on the um, west coast of, of England between the square bit, which is the wash, and the big long bit, which goes up to Scotland.
2: Why is that jokey?
1: Well, because um, it's not a very accurate academic oh,
2: description. But really. you're right, it is, it, <laughs> but it is off the Humber Estuary, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that, I mean, that's, that's the, really the centrepiece of what's going on. I mean, it's bounded by York in the north, Doncaster yep. in the, well, south-west. Yeah. And then uh, is London? what does London refer to?
1: London is, uh, London is, is their version of the, the Latin name Linden. Which okay. gives us Lincoln, ah, okay. or, or Lin, Lindum Colonia, right? Okay. Which is why it's C O L N. It's a shortening of oh. Colonia, uh, from which we get the word cl- uh, colony. Okay. So that's why Lincoln's got such a funny spelling.
2: We've got a few maps actually. One of Mythic Britain, a bigger version, which I think is made by the the author Mark Shirley of the a kind of more accurate geographical map. Yep. And then there's yep. another map of Care Dawn or is it Down? Yeah,
1: Don Donny Doncaster.
2: It is Doncaster, isn't it? Yeah, it's Doncaster. So we've got those maps, then we've got a description of the marshlands uh, mm-hmm. about its its extent. And a series of, uh, what it does is it lists the kind of physical qualities of the marsh, the mire, and encounters, people, creatures, hazards. Mm -hmm. And it kind of invites you to combine those things. Depending on what you roll, it's kind of setting itself up as a regional sandbox in that way.
1: Yeah, yeah. I was going to say, that's its kind of sandboxy part to it. And it's, yeah. For 33 pages, it packs a lot of stuff in like that.
2: Yes, and it also in this section, it includes mysteries. And these are Mm. just odd things that you might find that seem to be partly based on archaeological finds, as far as I can make out.
1: Yeah, quite well researched in that sense. So, number eight in the list is a carved statue so choked with moss it's impossible to determine it, whether it's God, it, which God it honors. Consider the long neglect. Uh, there may be much to gain from an offering. So, a carved statue of Roman origin was found buried in the soils around Kroll. The references to that, you know, you can almost count on the, on, on the fingers of your hand. There's another one which is there's a reference to a bog body. Um, And Mm. in the the 18th century, there was a a Roman girl found as a hog sacrifice. Nobody knows where she's got to now. Actually, she's got lost. Friend Shelley, Mark Shelley, has done a really good research job here.
2: There's some quite nice detail here. Mm. I mean, what it tells you is what people are doing in the marsh. So we've got eel trappers, fishermen. I mean, there's some there's some just little mm. details which I like, like the fishermen entry says, either in single-man coracles or paired up on skiffs, might be willing to mm. transport characters very superstitious, complain bitterly about the lack of fish, even if their baskets are bulging with their catch. So. Oh, that's very Lincolnshire. Yeah, yeah. so there's <laughs> a bit of... There are some little kind of things that are just put in there, that, which, uh, you know, you can... Sp- you know, spark something. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Just to go down the list: there's a uh, fowling party, reed cutters, salters, withy gatherers, turf cutters, shepherds, bandits, adventurers, travellers, and the hermit. Creatures: mosquito swarm, rats, swans or geese, boar, wolves, cranes, deer, lost sheep, a stray bull, a water serpent, several kind of mythic, folkloric creatures. So I think that's one yeah. of the things that it does well is that. It, it brings out the local folklore of the region, so they're they're drawing on... That's one of the things that that makes it distinctive. Yeah. And I suppose it's one of the things actually about this that makes it distinctive from the Mythic Britain campaign, which is Mm. much more concerned with very big political and military events. And this is regional folkloric Celtic Associations or or events and things, and I think Waterlands is much more has a lot more detail and is more interested in that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah, much more kitchen sink.
2: What have we got? Uh, Fogs, leeches,
1: muck and and leeches,
2: tide, sinkhole, sucking mud, swamp gas, tick grass, all of which are (laughs) unpleasant and nasty. So you don't want to be caught in any of any of these things. They're all Fairly dangerous. And then we're on to personalities. So there's a few distinctive personalities. There's the chief of the Koryoltavi. There's a Thane. How do you pronounce Thane Gagni? So? Thane? Thane. Uh, <laughs> Not gang-y. Thane, but the Gagni. Uh,
1: well, that's a root for uh, the Gagni. Gainsborough 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 a town in Lincolnshire yeah gets its name from yeah that's it's the borough of the ganness if the current pronunciation is any clue it's going to be something like that just for the record they weren't supposed to be turning up until about another 150 years later but um, I think that that's a that's a lovely thing is, is the way that he does weave stuff in so so the records say so. okay. um, but I mean first of all you know, no, nobody really properly knows. And secondly, I don't think it's the point, And I think that's something that I kind of got from reading through this uh, supplement. Is is that you know sometimes with the historical stuff, you, you're so desperate to make it right, but actually, when you think about it, you don't have to. You know, if it fits, um, you can just use it. Um, yeah, I mean, I, and I think you can weave stuff in from from a, a variety of, of kind of sources and it, it, it still works. It still works.
2: And then we have this little adventure called A Secret in the Water, which is mm-hmm. a it's a sort of murder mystery without necessarily mm. a murder.
1: It certainly means investigating.
2: Well the way I treated it is it, it is like an investigative scenario, like almost a Call of Cthulhu scenario. Because mm. there's lots of talking to people. Well, I mean, it begins with a with a kind of introduction to Caerdawn and a, a kind of meeting of the key players and the, the party are supposed to kind of meet the suitors of Albia, who's the, the kind of focus of the adventure. Then they investigate an attack on Albia and then there's an event and then a, a kind of resolution um, which brings the party to the estuary, the uh, Himbri's Gullet, which is supposed to be the yep. the kind of spirit of the I mean, I think it all in all is very well constructed i thought mm. because it does give you that mix of of activities so if you had a bunch of new players new people to the to the setting and they were not familiar with the mythic britain setting this is one of the ways that you could use this is that it, it avoids the main that the kind of big events of say the mythic yeah. campaign it introduces you to a small region which is not completely cut off, it is actually connected to the main campaign but it's a very particular mm. region, it gives them whoever's playing it, something to do, going yep. into this into this region so that they will have to travel into the Maya, they mm. will have to talk to a bunch of people and they will have to do some investigation and they will have to try and come to some understanding of what what's happened and it does have a kind of you know there's a couple of 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 sort of big dramatic events there's a there's a kind of nighttime event Uh, certainly when i ran it the players kind of dealt with it reasonably easily a bit of a surprise because up until then there's there's it's quite a slow-paced investigation with lots of kind of suspicions and you know trying to prize information out of people which might be unexpected from the setting
1: I think that's the lovely part of of this as a setting, different, distinct from the the the, the mythic Britain setting that it, uh, whose shoulders it stands on, is that it, it's a kind of counterpoint because um, Lindsay does seem to be this historically seem to have been this kind of melting pot mm-hmm. where you still have some Roman hangovers that that Lincoln seems to have retained. For a century or more, it's Roman cultural practices, um, and the Saxons that arrived up in the north seem to have integrated more. And you've still got a kind of the Celtic, a, a bit of a Celtic presence there as well. It's one of the themes of Mythic Britain. It, it kind of buys into the the whole Great Arthur myth and the Vortigern. Fighting against the, the, the Saxons and the great betrayals uh, that the Saxons did upon the, uh, upon the Britons. It's, it's very, very dramatic stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, it's real, also real ethnic conflict. but yep. here you've got a very much a kind of counterpoint, and there's this lovely detail where, where the author is saying, "Well, as a colonial. Lincoln would have settled people from all over the empire." Um, and there's some suggestion that there might have been some Ethiopians there, so you might actually even see some folks with dark skin. Yes, which I think is lovely little touch.
2: Yes, so that's uh, yeah, the Lindisi are definitely described as a kind of mixed people, Romano-British, and who those Romans are is it's a cohort of Ethiopian veterans, but also they they are they've taken on both Saxon and Celtic appearance in terms of their behavior and clothes yeah to some extent practices so i did wonder if you were bringing people into this so the way that i ran it is that all the mm. the characters the the pcs were from the Tauvi tribe which meant mm. that they did not have an allegiance with the brigantes or the lindisi one way or the other and the reason i did that was so that they would have this neutral position whereas if you came into it from a brigantes background then my understanding is because one of the suspects in the crime is brigantes Mm. as a group of players you would you would by default side with 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 that side which to me takes away a bit of the of the mystery potential mystery no? Yeah. What well, do you think?
1: It, I, I mean, you're an inventive GM. I know this over the years. <laughs> I think you, you would have cooked up some reason why we, we would have equally disliked the...
2: Okay. Um, well, well, there is a problem. There's a further... Well, pro- problem in inverted commas in that the Brigantes' chieftain is incredibly likable. <laughs> like, uh, <laughs> the, the only thing that you can... Well, the the bit of... the The, the kind of negative bit of information you've got about him is that he's mm. famously dim. and mm. the So it, it even has a quote that Merlin has called him a clay-brained clot pole. Mm. But other than that, he's incredibly likeable. It um, reminds,
1: reminds me of something that my, my grandfather used to say, which is, Lincolnshire-born, Lincolnshire-bred, strong in the arm, thick in the head.
2: Mm. That's what they say about Norfolk people as well. Um, <laughs> <laughs> how many people can we insult?
1: it's it's really tightly written and it gets yes. a lot of character and detail over in quite a short space and i think the author needs to very much be kind of commended for that he, he does a, a really good job there's an economy in the way that he's describing this so that you get all of these characterizations and motivations and, and you've got a reasonably good idea of what people are up to so that you can improvise and you you can you know let the encounters run in their in their own way and reach their own conclusions in a kind of organic way yeah how knowledgeable were your players coming into it with with the setting i mean did did they kind of know about the kind of the, uh, the english settlement early Saxon, Romano-British period, mm. did they have to be, did, did you have to do a little bit of groundwork in kind of introducing them? And if if they weren't so familiar, or if, if they were, how quickly did they then get into the setting?
2: Yeah, um, it, uh, it was definitely a mixed bag. Um, hmm. So they had watched things like The Last Kingdom, and so they knew, which is not the period, but it's, close as close as you're gonna get um yeah it was variable i mean one of them was kind of knew the pronunciation of welsh much better than i did so that was but didn't necessarily know kind of mythic associations all of them were fairly good on understanding what celtic folklore was Mm. so for example if i described something that was in these terms was an elf spirit if i Mm. said something like that they were all immediately terrified of what mm. you know, they were not thinking in terms of tolkien Legolas. Yeah, they were not, yeah. which was great. Which meant that I, you know, that completely worked yeah. when they were traveling through the Mire. I didn't need to prompt them at all, with mm. them acting on their superstitions or fears they were just Mm. absolutely terrified when stuff like that happened so and they were very they were very careful possibly too careful so i wouldn't it was very difficult for me to tempt them away from you know without getting into mechanical you Mm. know gubbins like testing their willpower to see if they'll go for something or you know that they were Mm. they were very cautious about things so
1: i i think that's that's the delight of of using perhaps mithras over Cthulhu, because if you if you're going in with a call of Cthulhu scenario, they know that there's going to be a big guy with a tentacle uh, with uh, with a kind of tentacle face peering at some point, or or one of his minions, or something like that. It's 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 a horror game. There's going to be something horrific happening. But if you're saying, well, we're just going to muck around in, in- <laughs> Britain, yeah, it leaves it so open that that if you actually put something supernatural in because you've never defined the boundaries, then players themselves are not quite so sure whether you're going to go for it, whether or not it really is the supernatural uh, um, creature or whether it's a bit of marsh gas.
2: Yes, and the other thing about the the characters is as far as they know, because they don't have any magical abilities... Uh, mm. Or any direct magical abilities they they feel very vulnerable <laughs> in the face yeah. of supernatural creatures and events. They're very cautious from that point of view, and you know if they look at their character and they know they know what their capabilities are and are not. Having said that, the fact that we had a druid in the party, I think mm. really helped. It helped me, I think, because I could feed that player information Mm. that would not otherwise be available so because Mm. she could interact a little bit with with spirits i could Mm. i I, I basically used her as a conduit to get to get certain things across it was useful to have her partly because she had skills like she had skills to do with like she had certain law skills which she Mm. could then use to okay can i find out about this thing mm. whereas the other players who were a hunter and a sailor and we did have a bard actually as well so but he was oh, okay. more so he was more kind of he knew about the the politics and yeah. he's very useful in speaking to people so in the investigation part whereas right. the druid was more useful in the in the kind of spirit stuff
1: yeah so you would definitely recommend somebody play a druid if they were going to uh, um yes if they were going to run
2: through the yes
1: How did did your players kind of find Mithras? I guess that they were all experienced with the general concepts of role-playing.
2: Yeah, I mean, they cope with it fine in terms of the system. Uh, I think if you are prepared to manage that, um, Mm. I simplify the system a bit. But on the other hand, most of it, because... It's mostly investigation. It's mostly skill checking. Them saying, okay, this is the way that we're yeah, going I've to approach yeah, this yeah, yeah. this problem. So, like, for instance, when you're doing the investigation, there's, lots of, there's insight, there's yeah. like, deceit mo- mostly from the NPCs, but they have to use insight, perception, law checks, this kind of thing. And that's very straightforward to both for them to understand what they're doing and for you to adjudicate. That's a lot of what the scenario is. It's doing that kind of stuff. Yeah. Until it gets yeah. to certain kind of critical events, the actual climax was pretty dramatic. One of the players got swallowed <laughs> by a giant toad, I could say, or some some way, and actually managed to survive by cutting his way out. It was all it was all very dramatic. So yeah, the, the kind of climax worked.
1: There's plenty of other hook lines in yeah. there, isn't it? I mean, that, I mean, all strength to to the author's arm. He does give you some good suggestions on what happens if they want a second or third helping of this.
2: Yes, you can extend it four pages detailing a set of further adventures that, you you know, how you can expand it to come to a, a larger conclusion.
1: The way that things are woven in to create the tapestry of the adventure, you know, I think it's a really strong job. And it, it, I, I felt coming away from this that I picked up a lot of th- ways of looking at historical writing mm-hmm. of adventures
2: mm-hmm.
1: um, and also i think you know the ge- i think mark mark shirley's has a thing about the, the geography i think that, that his day jobs linked to yes. something to do with that
2: yeah
1: as i'm driving around the roads of lincolnshire and that north north nottinghamshire kind of going about my business. I'm kind of looking from the hills down into this great big bowl where the Great Mire is, mm. <laughs> looking at the landscape in a completely different way now, which is a wonderful thing. You know, I'm mm. actually grateful for this adventure just for that. Yeah, you know, to uh, because it's a you know, it, it's it's a landscape I've been familiar with pretty much all of my life in one way or another, and um, to be given a new insight into it,
0: I think is actually quite a gift. So I'm. pleased with that in that sense thanks for that review certainly a very interesting setting and mini campaign so what do you think of wetlands have you played it enjoyed it remember you can always let us know by emailing the podcast at Matters at gmail.com. Or why not come and join the Mithras Discord? Yes, we have a Discord dedicated to Mithras now. Thanks to Bill for setting this up. And if you would like to come and join in the discussions, then the link to the Discord is in the show notes below this podcast. Okay, on to the next segment time to let Lawrence Whitaker bring us up to date with what the design mechanism is working on in the future. Time for the tantalising news section.
3: Over to you, Laws. Hello there. I want to talk a little about a few products the design mechanism team is working on for future release. And by future, I'm talking about 2020 and beyond. So these aren't imminent releases, but they are in our pipeline and in various stages of development. The first is for you now, this is one product that we hope may see a 2019 release. The manuscript is finishing editorial and we'll be moving on to art commissioning and layout reasonably soon. Fiora Citta is a fantasy city based on the city-states of Renaissance Italy. The city in question is a highly cultured place with a long entangled history. Written by Alex Green, Fiora Cheeta is presented in reasonably broad strokes, but it does detail its place in the world that it occupies, its history, culture magic, religions, and customs. Uh, Fiorachita is magically rich, and the five magic systems of Mithras are all represented there. It's also a place of politics and intrigue, and there's a great deal of scope for urban espionage, inter-family feuding, duels, blood oaths, and sweeping melodrama. The next is Department M. This is a project that's been in the pipeline for a while, but we've said very little about it because we weren't too sure if it would make it out of development hell. Fortunately, it has, and we hope to see the manuscript around October. As the name suggests, Department M is a contemporary espionage supplement for Mithras. Characters are agents of the titular department, and the supplement is designed to support a wide variety of espionage flavours, ranging from the cool, meticulous stories of John Le Carrier through the suave super-spy excesses of James Bond and Kingsman and into the gritty cinematic brutality of Jason Bourne. Department M has been written by Chad Bowser, who's worked with us before and wrote the excellent white death scenario that treads some of this kind of territory. Let's turn now to classic fantasy. We've been quiet on the classic fantasy front for a while, but that's gearing up for change in the next year. Rod Leary has five scenario manuscripts been reviewed for publication, all by different authors, and he's hard at work on The Unearthed Companion, which expands classic fantasy into character ranks four and five, with new classes, magic, monsters, and treasure. He's also preparing a supplement dedicated to fleshing out the campaign world of Greymoor, and has plans for three or four additional rules expansions to cover psionics, chaos, and witchcraft and alchemy. 2020 should be a busy, bumpy year for classic fantasy fans. And now back to our mythic Earth range. Three projects to discuss here. The first is Mythic Babylon by Chris Gilmore and Paul Michener. This should be a truly epic book, extremely well researched, full of evocative detail, and rich with adventure possibilities in the ancient Babylonian Empire. Chris and Paul have taken a lot of time to craft a book that's historically faithful while also allowing for the fantastic to appear. Character creation helps generate characters with a real sense of place, and even the magic systems have been built to recreate the stories of Babylonian sorcery. The manuscript is completing its first round of editorial revisions, and will be progressing to copy editing and art commissioning in the next few months. Also newly commissioned for Mythic Earth are Mythic Polynesia by Mark Shirley and Mythic Mexico by Ken St. Andre. Both titles are in very early stages and likely to see a 2021 release. But both will be worth the wait. Mark Shirley is a fantastic writer and anyone familiar with Mythic Constantinople and our Waterland supplement will know what to expect in terms of creative detail. But Mythic Polynesia has a rich untapped mythical stream that Mark is keen to bring to the forefront and honestly who can resist rules for surfing? Ken St. André should need no introduction. One of the godfathers of role-playing, Ken is the creator of Tunnels and Trolls but he's also an avid historian, especially for the Mesoamerican era, which means that mythic Mexico, covering the Aztecs, Toltecs, and the other great Central American civilizations, is a labor of love for him. Now, finally, I know people will want to hear where we are with mythic Greece. Well, needless to say, Pete is still working on it, and it will be better for us to get him to come along on Mithras Matters to talk about the project in person. So that's what we'll do. Watch out for Pete speaking within Wills in a future episode. But from me, Lawrence Whittaker, that's all for this month. And remember, your Mithras is your Mithras, so make it matter.
0: And that's it. The second episode of the official Mithras podcast comes to an end. Please do let us know what you would like to be included in future episodes and spread the word. There is a great community out there surrounding the Mithras game, so let's share how much we enjoy it and encourage everyone to see why Mithras matters. Do subscribe to the podcast so you get a notification when the next month's episode surfaces. And until then... Let's hope that all your pose roles succeed and provide you with a well-deserved special. Have a great month of gaming, everyone, and I will see you again in July. See ya! this podcast is covered by the creative commons attribution 3.0 license so please give appropriate credit if you are sharing or copying any part of this podcast thank you